passage this week comes from Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 to Exodus 6, verses 12. And it's on page 92 of the Black Bibles. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of this land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Do not reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required for you each day, just as you did when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that is what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and put sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, You will see what I do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac. And to Jacob as the Lord Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resigned as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. 
Therefore, I say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifting hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh of Egypt to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Thanks for reading, Jemima. Good, good morning, everyone. Me. Add my welcome to those who have been up here before me this morning. My name is, is Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my job today to take us through this passage that Jemima's just read to us. As a church, we're working our way through these first chapters in Exodus at the moment, hoping to see that our God is a God who saves and to remind each other of that truth. That's what we're doing as a church at the moment. I want to begin by this morning by introducing you to a man called Hagoth Geprahet. He's an Ethiopian world-class runner. I've got a photo of him on the screen up here. Now, there he is receiving a bronze medal at uh, Rio, the Rio Games. Uh, I'm telling you about him, though, because back in 2012 at a Diamond League meet in Lausanne, he did what many of us have done, and that is he celebrated too early. Uh, he was running a 5,000-metre race, and he was streets ahead of the nearest competitor, he got to the second last lap and that, you know that bell they ring to tell you on your last lap? Well, as he crossed the finish line, that bell rang and then for some unexplained reason, he threw up his arms in celebration, bent over puffing, uh, thinking that he had run, won the race. He was ecstatic, overjoyed at having won this race. And then he noticed that as the other competitors eventually crossed the finish line, well, behind him, they kept going and he was caught by surprise, realised his mistake and tried to catch up. In the end, he only managed to finish 10th. Can you imagine the heartache? Celebrating too early. And you know, he's not the only one, is he? If you were watching the soccer yesterday, you might have been accused of this as those penalties missed or didn't. Were you celebrating too early yesterday? And if you want to, go on YouTube and, and look at this. It's full of examples of people celebrating too early just getting pipped at the finish line. As I watch those videos on YouTube, as I think about this, I'm kind of embarrassed for the people. They deserve to win, but at the last moment, some misunderstanding, some error catches them out. And as I read through this passage that Jemima has read to us, as I think through what's going on in Moses' mind, I also feel a little embarrassed for Moses, because in a way, I want you to see that it's Kind of like Moses almost celebrates too early too. See, at the end of chapter 4, the Israelites are lapping up the words of Moses. That They're listening to him and they're responding positively. They worship God at the end of chapter 4. And then he gets to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh scoffs. As I read these chapters, I'm, I'm really feeling for Moses. Now, we've got a lot of verses to cover today, a lot of information to get through. So let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to fly through the narrative today. We're going to go through it re really quickly. 
I want to go through the narrative because I want to make sure that you all understand the flow of the story, that you've got your head around the plot. But I don't want us to spend all of our time just in the narrative today because I want to also get you asking the why questions in your own mind. Why are these verses here? I'd love you to go home and be thinking through these questions. Why didn't God make Pharaoh listen the first time Moses talked to him? Why didn't God just kill Pharaoh outright and just be done with it? The story would be so much shorter, wouldn't it? Would have saved a lot of time. I'd love you to be thinking through those sort of questions today. I think at least part of the answer to that is that, well, this is how we get to know God. This is how we get to know Yahweh. Remember last week, Jack took us through chapter 3 of of Exodus, where God spoke to Moses from the burning bush and he told him his name, Yahweh, I am who I am. Or maybe I am who I will be. God was revealing himself to Moses. And this passage that Jemima just read to us, it, it sets up the scene even more fully as to how we might know the person of God, how we and how Israel might know Yahweh. We see God revealing himself as a way to comfort Moses when he's depressed, when he's despondent, when Pharaoh hasn't been listening to him. Chapters 3 and chapters 4 of Exodus are, are largely positive chapters, I think. We're going to pick up the story um, right at the end of chapter 4, where Jemima started reading at verse 29. I just want you to see this is kind of like a high point in the story. Let me read this to you again. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. You see, this is a high point in the story here. Remember, Moses had been worried, hadn't he, that the the people, his own people, that they wouldn't receive him, they wouldn't listen to him. But here, not only do we see them listening to Moses, but they're believing, and they bow down and they worship God. That's probably the best thing they could have done, isn't it? Hearing, understanding, bowing down and worshipping. They've been reminded of God's care for them. They've, they've, they've been told by Moses that God is going to rescue them. And they respond in worship, bowing down. And I reckon you have to forgive Moses, don't you, for getting ahead of himself at this point. The people listen, the people believe, the people worship God. And so surely Pharaoh will do so as well. And so at the start of chapter 5... Moses and Aaron pop in to see Pharaoh. And I want you to notice in chapter 5, verse 1, that they use the language of the prophets. You know, thus says the Lord. It doesn't quite say it that way in the NIV. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. But it's the prophetic language. And what do they say? Let my people go. And I get the feeling that Moses might have just been expecting this to be the end of the matter, that because the Israelites had believed, because they'd listened, because they'd bow down and worshipped, maybe Pharaoh would too. But look what happens in verse 2. Verse 2 of chapter 5, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. You know, Hagos celebrated too early. His heartache and his pain. I reckon Moses is in exactly the same spot at this point. 
hurting, confused. It shouldn't have been a surprise to Moses, though, should it? Back in chapter 4, God had told Moses exactly how Pharaoh would respond. He had told Moses that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, that he wouldn't let his people go. If you want to look back and see that, you can turn back to chapter 4, verse 21. And not only does Pharaoh not let the people go, but he also, he turns up the oppression stakes, doesn't he? He says, well, now they're going to have to go and collect their own straw to make bricks. Now, the story had had been heading in a positive direction, I think, in chapter 4. And now in chapter 5, it it turns the other way. And in verse 10, I want you to, if you look down at verse 10, you'll see here that prophetic language is used again. Moses has said, this is what the Lord says. And now the slave drivers, they use the same phrase, but they put it on Pharaoh's lips. This is what Pharaoh says. And you see here, the scene is being set. Got the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and he's now firmly locked in battle with Pharaoh. Who's going to come out supreme? And the thing is, as we read through chapter 5, it seems like Pharaoh is getting the upper hand. Moses is dejected. In verse 22, Moses returns to the Lord and he says, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people. And you've not rescued your people at all. I wonder if you ever go to God asking these why questions of him. Why am I in this position, Lord? Why, God, are you so slow in keeping the promises that you made? I reckon many of us know that feeling that Moses is going through at this point in the story. Why, God, have you done this? Why have you not rescued? The lovely thing about Exodus, though, is that the story doesn't stop there, is it? God answers Moses, and in chapter 6, we see God's encouragement for Moses. And it starts this way, chapter 6. God says, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God's going to act, and he's going to act in such a way that no one will be able to put the events of the Exodus down to to mere coincidence. No, God's going to be revealed by what he does. We read on, verse 2 of chapter 6. God said to Moses, I am the Lord, capital letters. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. Can you see the encouragement that God has got for Moses here? Moses is feeling despondent. God's encouragement to him is that he's revealed himself to him. He's saying, Moses, don't be upset, don't be discouraged. I've told you my name. And you were the first to know me that way. You were the first to know me as Yahweh. I am who I am. I think that's what the passage is trying to say. But for those of you who've read through parts of the Old Testament before, you might see there's a bit of a problem with that statement. As as far back as Genesis chapter 4, back in the times of Seth and Enosh, the people have been calling on God by that same name. If you remember last week, Jack showed us that when we see L-O-R-D in capital letters in our English Bible, that is the 
uh, translation of the name Yahweh. So as far back as Genesis chapter 4, the people have been calling God by the name of Yahweh. So what then does God mean here? What is special about this point? How is God revealing more of himself to Moses here? What does he mean? But I reveal myself more fully to you. I think the most compelling answer I've seen on this question rests in how we understand the translation of God's name, Yahweh. Remember we saw that last week? Andrew Reid and the study guides that he's put together on Exodus, there are a few of them on the hall table, by the way. They're $7 if you'd like to buy one and work your way through that. Andrew Reid suggested it's entirely feasible, but that the word Yahweh, who we often translate as I am who I am, can also be translated as I am who I will be. And that means that God is revealed by what he does. In other words, Moses will will know God by his actions. It's not just that Moses knows his name, Yahweh, but that Yahweh is understood. We come to know Yahweh through what he does. And I reckon that's a, a compelling reading of this section of the Bible because look what happens from here onwards, from verse 6. We see God describing what he is going to do, his future actions. Let me read. This is what God says. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. The name Yahweh means I am who I am, but if it also means I am who I will be, then can you see what God is revealing here to Moses? He's going to bring the people out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He's going to free them from slavery. He's going to redeem them with an outstretched hand. He's told Moses that he's going to be known through these mighty acts of judgment. Now, it might be a bit confronting for us today because most of us know what's coming up in the story, don't we? We know of the plagues, we know of the destruction, we know of the, the death that's coming to Egypt. But here we see this is how God is going to be known as a redeemer who redeems through mighty acts of judgment. And I suggest to you that in that first interaction back at the start of chapter 5, God could have struck Pharaoh down when Pharaoh didn't listen to Moses' words. God could have won the battle then and there. But if that had happened, we wouldn't have seen the character of God. We wouldn't have seen, in quite the same way, the redemptive work of God. We wouldn't have seen him as a promise keeper and as a provider and as a God of judgment. And I think this then is how God is encouraging Moses. Moses, you will know me by my actions. Okay, we've flown through these verses. I hope the kind of plot line makes somewhat sense to you, having gone through it in that way. There's more we could look at, but what I want to do instead is turn our attention to a few things that this might mean for us today. And you'll see those points listed in your 
leaflet if you're following along. I want to begin by asking and getting you to think through how we know God today. And my suggestion is that Moses was encouraged in this passage by God revealing himself to him through his actions. I want to suggest today we also know God through his actions, but those actions have been most clearly displayed in the life and the person of Jesus. Today we know God through Jesus. And that's the point of the opening words in the letter to the Hebrews that we worked uh, through as a church not all that long ago. Let me just remind you of these words from the start of the letter to the Hebrews. It says this, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, people like Moses, at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. I think what this passage is saying is in the past we needed prophets like Moses, but today we have Jesus. We have Jesus' words recorded. We have his actions listed for us and written down in the book of the Bible. And we have his spirit at work within us, reinforcing his truths upon our hearts. Through Jesus we can know God. And so let me just suggest to you today, if you're feeling a little bit like Moses might have been feeling when Pharaoh didn't listen to him. If you're feeling a little bit dejected, if you're feeling a little bit defeated, if you're feeling like your relationship with God is not what you'd like it to be, well, the solution for Moses, I think, in this passage was that God showed him who he was. I wonder if the solution for us today is similar then. And how do we encounter, how do we know God today? Well, if it's been a while since you've read through one of the gospel accounts of Jesus, or even if you haven't, even if you've done it today, can I encourage you, keep reading, keep getting to know the person of Jesus. Because that is how we know God today. It's been a while since you've read a gospel, or if you haven't read one before, there are some gospels out on the hall table. I'd love you to read through to get to know the person of Jesus. Okay, that's the first thing. How do we know God? Second thing I want us to think about is being ambassadors of Jesus in our world today. I hope you've enjoyed meeting together as a big group like this at 10 o'clock. It's only our third week of doing this. I've, I've been encouraged by the change. I, I hope you have too because it, it actually feels physically warm in here today. Uh, but I hope the whole idea of being together has been kind of warming for, for your hearts I hope it's reminding you that God is at work in the world, that there are lots of people who want to meet together on Sunday morning to worship and praise our God. But my prayer and my desire for this is that it will also encourage us to be a church that is outward-looking, a church that is thinking about God's mission. In verse 2 of chapter 5, where Moses asked Pharaoh to let his people go, Pharaoh responds this way. He says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Now, I suggest to you that over subsequent chapters in this story that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, God does become known to Pharaoh. He becomes known through Moses and through his actions. 
If we come back to our world today, I want to suggest to you that increasingly I think that the people we have contact with outside of this church are like Pharaoh. They don't know the Lord. My experience is that 20 years ago when I talked to people outside of church about Jesus or about the gospel, often the response is that people would turn their noses up. They thought they knew Jesus and they didn't want to hear any more about him. I wonder today, it's not, my guess is it's not quite the same today. Let me give you an illustration. I go to a small gym on Unley Road. I'll be getting to know the people there. One of the trainers, I reckon he's in his late 20s, I guess. Whenever I talk about what I do, when he asks me what I do for work, or we talk about church, or we talk about Jesus, we talk about the gospel, well, it's not like he's turning his nose up at that stuff. He just has absolutely no idea. No idea who Jesus is or what Jesus has done. I'm not sure if this is universally true across Adelaide, but my guess is that more and more people just don't know the God that we love and worship. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity for us. See, I want you to remember that God is a God who saves and that we have a role to play in that. Peter ends in his commentary on this passage of Exodus that we've been looking at, uh, takes us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read from uh, verse uh, uh, 20 of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul had been speaking about the way in which the gospel changes people, the way in which the gospel reconciles us to God. And in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What's this passage saying? Well, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Here's the link that Peter Enns makes with Exodus. We're like Moses speaking to Pharaoh when it comes to reaching the world outside of these, these walls. We are to be Christ's ambassadors, which means we are to make God known to a world that otherwise wouldn't know him. Peter N says we're not simply innocent bystanders in all of this. We have been saved by God. We've been reconciled by him in order to be put to work. And our labour is to make God known. Now, isn't it great to hear from Esther before about what's happening at the university campus this coming week? People being saved, put to work to make God known. And God entrusts this task to all of us. We don't do it on our own, of course. His Spirit is at work helping us to do these things. But here's what I want you to remember. God is making an appeal through us. through you and me. It's a big task, it's not an easy thing to do, but what a wonderful thing also to be caught up in, to be incorporated into God's mission for the world. He's making his appeal through us. The last few years, it's been hard to do this work, hasn't it? We've seen less people. Uh, maybe you're not seeing work colleagues as much, maybe you're working from home sometimes, but let me just encourage you, don't forget those people 
God has made himself known to us. He's done that in a much fuller and a much richer way than he ever did to the Israelites because we know Jesus. We know Jesus and God is therefore making his appeal through us. I encourage you, keep trying to help introduce those people in your life to Jesus. Keep praying for them. Keep remembering that we are God's ambassadors and we have work to do in this area. Okay, next point in your leaflet. As we've read through Exodus over the last few weeks, one of the things that strikes me is the way in which it sometimes seems that God is slow to keep his promises. Now, if this week's been particularly hard for you or you're going through a difficult patch of time at the moment, that wouldn't surprise me to hear that you've spent a bit of time praying the prayer that we pray often, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me ask you, are you longing for Jesus' return? I, I pray this often, come, Lord Jesus, come. Although, let me be honest with you, sometimes I pray it less I remember in the week before getting married, perhaps that not wanting to be the time when Jesus would return. Or I've just been on a snow holiday, not just before the snow holiday, that sort of thing. But I wonder, are you looking forward to Jesus' return? At times it feels like God is slow in keeping that promise, doesn't it? And it must have felt like that for Moses as well, as he, he marches into Pharaoh all full of confidence. The people of Israel had just listened to him. Surely Pharaoh would too. And yet Pharaoh just scoffs at him. He's tossed out. Moses must have wondered at that point, why is God so slow in keeping his promises? Does it feel like that for you? Sometimes as well, that God is slow in keeping his promises. Maybe you've been praying for someone. Maybe you've been praying for your own heart. Maybe you're asking that God would turn you away from a a persistent sin in your life. Or maybe like me, you're praying for his return, wondering, it's been 2,000 years. When is he going to return? Some of us were at some of the men here were at men's convention earlier this year and we spent the day looking at 2 Peter. I'm going to read for you a few verses from 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 3. It's speaking about the end times. And it says this, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. That might resonate with you today. And then come down to verse 8. Peter says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter here, he's reminding us that God is not slow in keeping his promises, but in withholding the return of Jesus, he's being merciful. He's being patient, not wanting everyone, anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I've been wondering, just wondering a bit here, could God's slowness in delivering Israel also be due to his desire for repentance? 
Could his slowness in part be due to his mercy towards Pharaoh? We know that God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. Could he still be merciful? We don't know the ins and outs and every twist and turn in God's plan, but we do know this. He has promised to return in the person of Jesus. He's promised to remake this world. He's promised to judge this world. Peter reminds us that God is not slow in keeping his promises, but is merciful and patient. The last thing I want to look at with you this morning is to do with our response to God. And I want to come back to chapter 4, verse 29, that Jemima read to us right at the start of, of the Bible passage. I'm going to read it to you again. I've already read it once, but I'll read it to you again. It says this, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the, Israelite, of, of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And he also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. And I said to you, this was a high point in the story, and I think it's a wonderful high point. Because the people, having had their minds and their hearts filled with an understanding about how great God is and what God was about to do, they respond by believing. And their response is not just belief, but they they bow down and they worship God. In the community group that I'm part of this week, we spent a bit of time as a group talking about this idea of bowing down, the posture that the Israelites had. We asked the question, should we be bowing down today? I want to suggest that here the people have understood who God is. They've seen the power of God. They've seen his might and his control. And that posture just flows out of their understanding about the greatness of God. It doesn't seem contrived at all, but it does sound right, doesn't it? Here's what I want to encourage us. We worship the same God. I want you to see him as powerful today as he was back then. I want you to know that our God is still a God of rescue, still a God of deliverance, and still a God who keeps his promises. And yet more so, I want you to see that we know more of our God today because we live after Jesus, and so we can know our God so much better. So how then should we respond to knowing this God? How should we respond to seeing his work of deliverance and rescue? Well, surely it's also in worship, isn't it? We're going to do that in just a moment. We're going to sing another song. We're going to sing a song called King of Kings. It reminds us of the way in which we've been taken from ignorance of God to a love for God. It reminds us that we've been taken from darkness to light. It reminds us that Jesus has revealed God and his kingdom and that he's reconciled and redeemed us. I hope this morning then that means that you can sing this song with real meaning. We talked about posture and bowing down. That might not be the right thing for you to do here this morning. But I also want you to remember that you sing to a God who keeps his promises, who loves you and who has redeemed you. And more than just that, I want you to remember as you leave here that our worship's not just limited to us singing a song together, is it? Our worship is shown by the way that we live our lives We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, as it says in Romans. 
That is our worship. Let me pray for us as we uh, give thanks to God and as we get ready to worship him. Father, we thank you that you're a God who's revealed yourself to us in the pages of the Bible. Thank you that we can know you through your actions. Thank you that we can know you in and through the person of Jesus. Father, as we seek to live for you, we pray that you'd help us to do that in a way that honours you and brings you glory. Amen.